Not everyone is intended to be an entrepreneur. I do break hearts with this book because I believe you're born with these traits. They cannot be taught. And so they're either inherent in you, just like they are you, Chris, and just like they are me. Do you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? For that 4% that do, look out, baby. And for the others that don't, listen, the good news is there's a thousand other options for you. It's, it's not like game over. And it's not like somehow entrepreneurship is the pinnacle. You know, it's being an entrepreneur is sheer hell, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> so what if, what if for the folks out there that feel like they have five of those out of six? Well, simply put, you're not a true entrepreneur. <laughs> We stand today. The business method. The business with method. The, shadow. the business method. The business method podcast. The business method podcast featuring Chris Reynolds. Entrepreneurs' systems, methods, tools, and tactics for location independence. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, I'm your host, Chris Reynolds, and welcome to the Business Method Podcast, a podcast featuring successful entrepreneurs and high-profile people dissecting their business models. We dissect the different methods, tools, and tactics of high-performance online entrepreneurs and high-caliber people in a series format. On our first series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs in 100 days that have built businesses creating $100,000 or more annually. On our second series, we interviewed 100 entrepreneurs that have built location-independent businesses that produce over a million dollars and annual revenue and now we're interviewing 100 major influencers to get behind the minds and the science of using influence to grow business and influence income results economies and cultures there's a growing number of people building these caliber of businesses like this and we're going to figure out what it takes to make this happen now let's jump in today's show the business method Ladies and gentlemen, today we have the author of the award-winning best-selling book, Traction, as well as Get a Grip and Rocket Fuel, Gino Wickman on the podcast. He's joining us and he's been an entrepreneur since the age of 21. At 25, he took over his family's business, which was deeply in debt, turned the company around for seven years and eventually selling it. Gino then set out to help entrepreneurs and leaders get what they want from their businesses, Based on his years of real-world experience, he created the Entrepreneurial Operating System, otherwise known as EOS, an organization that has helped tens of thousands of businesses implement this system with the aid of an international team of over 350 professionals and certified EOS implementers. There are more than 76,000 companies around the world using the EOS tools. Gino has personally delivered more than 1,900 full-day sessions for more than 135 employees employees, helping them to implement EOS. He is here to talk about this book, you guys, Entrepreneurial Leap, which he was so generous to send to me two and a half months ago when we booked this call. And of course, I read it. And uh, it's a great book. So Gino, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Pleasure to be here, Chris. I am great and really looking forward to this. So I've, I've got to ask how old you are because you've done a lot of stuff and you don't look that old. And 1,900 one-on-one, not one-on-one sessions or full-day sessions, that's a lot. Yeah. And uh, so do you mind if I ask real quick? Not at all. No, I'm 52 and uh, you know I hit my entrepreneurial strider on 24. So yeah, I got an early start and uh, had some great mentors and it has been a wild and crazy almost 30 years. Yeah, but you still feel very youthful in spirit. So what's the key? Oh, man. I feel like being an entrepreneur and chasing my dreams keeps me young. Like I'm 39 now, but I look like I'm 30. And yeah. so what about you? What do you think is the, the, the fountain of youth for you? 
I, I, I just think it's, you know, I personally feel like I'm just getting started, you know, yeah. so it's, I, I think in 10 year time frames, you know, so I, I created EOS to last a hundred years and we're 20 years into that. And I trust that we'll achieve that. I've got this next project that's a 10 year project. So I, I just, I think in 10 year time frames, and I'm 52 and I feel like I've got at least 50 good years left. So, uh, so, you know, I just, a lot of runway and, and just so much opportunity in the world, you know, so that's what those, that kind of mindset is what keeps me feeling young. I think so. Like the idea that I feel, you know, again, I'm 39. I feel like I'm still just kind of starting out or that I've just started out, you know, and that, I think that keeps us young and going and keeps us just fueled for, for whatever reason. You bet. Yeah. No question. Cool. Well, I'm honored to have you on the show. Um, this book, you guys, Entrepreneurial Leap. Now, I have to be, I'll be transparent. I haven't read Traction, but all my friends just cannot shut up about it. So I, I know it's a great book. It's just on my list and I haven't been there yet. So um, a lot of our audience listeners, they are either entrepreneurs or aspiring entrepreneurs, right? And so when I first read the subtitles of this book, you know, in the tagline, do you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? I thought to myself, well, I've been an entrepreneur for years. I already know that I have what it takes. Like, what's this book going to teach me? And then so I started digging into it. And first off, I was revisiting a lot of the basics. That's so easy to forget after you've been an entrepreneur for so many years. But I started learning more about myself, plus many things that I wish I would have known when I started out as an entrepreneur. And we're going to go through those here on the podcast. But there was so much in there. And I was like, oh, I wish I would have known that 13 years ago. Oh, I wish I would have known that would have just changed everything for me. So I think it's a really good idea that you wrote this book. You know that. And um, what inspired you? Like, tell us more about the inspiration for it. Yeah. And as I answer that, you prompted a thought. It's this unintended benefit uh, to writing the book. And it is when an entrepreneur like you, uh, because I did not write it for successful entrepreneurs to read, but when they read it, it just totally reinvigorates them, lights them up because you're reading your life story. And so I will say to any entrepreneurs listening out there, when you're going, why are we talking about you know, becoming an entrepreneur when I already am, uh, you are going to pick up a few nuggets. It is going to reinvigorate all those wonderful things. So, so to answer your question, um, the reason I wrote this is there's an old quote that says, we teach what we needed the most from Danielle Kennedy. And so what I'm doing is I'm teaching my 18-year-old self who was a mislabeled derelict. I was an entrepreneur in the making. You know, I was insecure. I was scared. I had no idea what I was at 18. I did not go to college. I knew that academics were not for me. And so I I took this path of work, you know, and that's what felt right to me. So I didn't know what I was back then. And the whole idea is to take anyone out there, whether you're nine years old or 90, and if you think you might be an entrepreneur in the making, this book is kind of the end all be all in helping you to determine if you are and how to take that leap. And so I wish I had this when I was 18 years old because I would have had an 11 year jump start. I didn't realize I was an entrepreneur and really know that until age 29. So that's when it really clicked for me and where, where I really took off. So, so that's why, and it's kind of ironic because my work is in reverse order because you know, I'm writing this book and I'm teaching the world and the goal is to impact a million entrepreneurs in the making. And, and so I'm going to the front end of the entrepreneurial journey and helping again, entrepreneurs in the making take that leap, take a better leap, increase their odds. And I'm doing this second, this next era of my life. Well, the previous era was helping successful entrepreneurs. And so 20 years of helping successful entrepreneurs. So I did it in reverse, but that was the perfect way to do it. I, it, 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 I could not be doing what I'm doing now with this new project 
had I not experienced what I experienced in the past two decades. Do you do you have children? Do you know? Yes. You. Yeah. Yeah. 20, 25 and 28 years old. I was when I was reading this, I don't have kids, but when I was reading this, I thought like this is definitely going to be a study guide book that I give to them when they're like 11, 12, 13, 14 years old and start breaking down these ideas. Like I my idea is like I want a, a weekly success class with my future kids. Right. And I thought, what a perfect book to start them out on, because there's, you know, I didn't know when I started my entrepreneurial career, I didn't really know what B2B or B2C was, you know, you know, what was the difference if you had a partner, or you went solo and all these things you talk about in the book that that could have just helped jumpstart my career way back then. You're here. And it makes my day because, you know, you say that these testimonials I get from these, you know, a book is about to go to this nine years, nine year old who's ready to read it. But. 11 year old, 13 year old, these testimony, testimonies I get, it's, I mean, it's like a dream come true. I don't know that I ever intended to it to, for it to skew that young, you know, I, in my head, it was always this kind of 18 to 22 year old. What I've come to learn again is it's truly nine to 90, but, but does it, that's exactly my hopes and dreams is that parents give this to their kids for them to decide at a young age, is this the right path? Just for the record, about 4% of the kids out there, not everyone is intended to be an entrepreneur. I do break hearts with this book because I believe you're born with these traits. They cannot be taught. And so they're either inherent in you, just like they are you, Chris, and just like they are me. And so this book helps you ultimately determine, do you have what it takes to be an entrepreneur? For that 4% that do, look out, baby. And for the others that don't, listen, the good news is there's a thousand other options for you. It's not like you know, it's not like game over and it's not like somehow entrepreneurship is the pinnacle. You know, it's being an entrepreneur is sheer hell, but I wouldn't trade it for anything. <laughs> and most people don't know that going into it, right? Exactly right. Yeah. So let's take a couple of minutes, Gino, and just kind of let the audience know more about you. So you started your first business at 21. Is that correct? Yeah, well, I became an entrepreneur at 21. Okay. So the way I describe it is out of high school, I did not go to college as my friends went off to college. I went and worked in a machine shop of all things, uh, learned what I did not want to do for the rest of my life. So what I did is I saved up a bunch of money. I took my entrepreneur leap at 21 and, and I just was finding myself. I was going to open a corporate travel agency, went to work for one and realized there's no way in hell I'm doing that. I started investing in real estate. I did mailers. So I was like finding myself from 21 to 24, found myself in the real estate industry, was incredibly successful for myself which stemmed from the real estate investing I was doing. And my dad's business was training real estate agents. And when I took his training and became a six figure earner, you know, at the ripe age of 23, I fell in love with this company and I said, I want to run that company. And so at 24 years old, I nosed my way into the company through my dad's partner. My dad did not want his kids in the business and uh, started at the bottom, sold his products door to door, and then worked my way up to literally taking over the company in a year and a half by age 25. I like how you snuck around the, the your dad there and went to his partner to get it. Get it oh yeah, yeah, and so his, his partner ironically was my trainer. So I, my dad created a program that there were literally 50 trainers out there that would teach his program. I took it from his partner. His partner fell in love with me. I fell in love with him. And so yeah, he talked my dad into letting, a, letting me in and then ironically, all three of us, three boys, uh, ended up in the business. My brother was our, my younger brother was our graphic designer and my older brother was our fulfillment guy. So was your dad eventually glad that you wiggled your way in there? He is because yeah. when I got involved, the reason I worked my way up so fast is I discovered that the company was in deep trouble. So my dad is this incredible visionary entrepreneur. 
money machine, created a revolutionary program, this cash cow, but terrible with managing that money. And, uh, and so once I got my arms around it, I just kind of had this knack. I don't know, even know where it came from, but two great mentors in my dad and Sam Cup. And uh, I really felt like it saved the company. In three years, I was able to completely turn it around, got it out of some very deep, ugly debt and growing again. And so uh, um, I'm not sure what question I'm answering for you there, but that prompted something there. Was that kind of the inspiration for creating the entrepreneurial operating system eventually? Yeah, 100%. Because what I realized is my dad was this crazy visionary entrepreneur and, and needed to be harnessed, you know, just to a certain degree. And, and, and I was what I now call an integrator. So I created this terminology called visionary integrator out there in the world. And, and yeah, my dad and I were the original visionary and integrator. Ultimately, once I realized what I was by 29, at the end of the day, I'm a visionary who has these integrator abilities, but I'd rather spend my life in visionary land, it's a lot more enjoyable for me at least. But yeah, that's, so it all stemmed from that and the accountability chart stemmed from that. Yeah, and a lot of the tools, the quarterly meeting pulse, yeah, all stemmed from me turning that business around in real time, learning how to run, turn around and grow a business. And what year did you start EOS, Gino? That would be 2000 is when I took my leap. Okay, and now are you still part of the company or did you sell your part or so I sold so I sold um, EOS worldwide two years ago I still own 12 and a half percent of the business um, I still own all the books I'm still the EOS guy I still provide them a little bit of advisory I'm not on the board I don't want to be on the board I don't play well on boards uh, I'm a free spirit um, but I also work still work with my clients my number one love is still doing the sessions with clients I work with a handful of clients so 50% of my working life, is still EOS stuff. And then the other 50% is this new project entrepreneurially. Got it. So then, so you spent seven years in the family business, sold that business. And then did you take some time off to start EOS or was there any, anything in between there? Yeah, no, I took a, I took a nine month sabbatical. So what happened is we sold, we closed and I had a three year contract, which I managed to get out of I'm trying to do the math really fast. Uh, which I managed to get out of a little more than a year and a half early. So I learned very quickly that I'm not capable of working for someone else in that experience. And so once I finished everything they needed me to finish, I, every single day for months, I would say, I'm done. You don't need me anymore. You don't need me. And so finally they flew in that we sold it to a company out of Virginia. They flew in and they said, all right, we're letting you go. And so after that, getting out of my contract a good year and a half early, yeah, then I took nine months off and, and just did a lot of soul searching and uh, th that's when I clearly discovered why I'm on this planet. And that's to help entrepreneurs, just like my dad, build amazing companies. And that's what I set out to do. That's incredible. And then you spent, was it 20 years building EOS into what it is? 20 years? Yep. 20 years of building EOS. Um, that, that nine month sabbatical spawned the discipline of a monthly sabbatical. I take a one month sabbatical every year. So for the last 20 years since that leap, I take the month of August off every year. And I'm convinced that that makes me a better person. But, uh, but yeah, I took the leap 20 years ago and it took me about five years to figure it all out, but uh, I figured it all out. What do you usually do on your sabbaticals? Everything but business. So it's not like it's a lot of travel. It's not like I go to the mountain for a month. I just don't work. So, so it's everything but work. So where the family needs me, I'm there. Um, they don't need me very much. So that's limited. I spend a lot of time with friends and family, tiny bit of travel here and there. 
and then just do all the things I love to do and just totally recharge, rest. And my whole psychology is I go into the sabbatical, obviously not working as I said, but the goal is to forget what I do for a living and come back at the end of the month and make sure that I still want to do it and I'm passionate about it and I still love it. And so, so far, 20 years running, I come back more wow. motivated and energized to hit the ground running. We can all take a, a lesson from that, I think. Any entrepreneur or non-entrepreneur. Here, here, I recommend it. Okay, so let's hop into Entrepreneurial Leap, your new book. How long has it been out now, Gino? So it's been out, it launched in October. So we're just a little over six months. One of the things that I thought was interesting is, and I saw that early in on the book, is that you said it's an attempt to scare people away from entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. And it seems like every other uh, you know, author or um, you know, entrepreneur that's teaching entrepreneurship out there, their, their goal is to get more people into entrepreneurship. Mm. And, and here you say in yours, uh, you're trying to scare people away from it. And why, why is that? Well, the first reason is because, you know, it's, it's the new rock star. You know, it so is. the 70s and 80s, everybody wanted to be a rock star. You know, in this last 10 years, everybody wants to be an entrepreneur. Um, and not everybody could be a rock star back in the 70s and 80s. And not everyone could be an entrepreneur. Not everyone's cut out to be an entrepreneur. And so there's these six essential traits I believe every entrepreneur has, and it starts with confirming whether or not you have those. So everybody gets caught up in the hype and the sizzle and watching Shark Tank and reading about billion dollar tech unicorns, and they're all saying, I want that. And, and it's, just not, it's, all, it's just not all it's cracked up to be. And so it's a cautionary tale. And so I'm trying to talk people out of it because I'm saying, listen, it's a tough life. Are you sure you're cut out for this? And the rule of thumb is if I can't talk them out of it, odds are they probably are. And so, you know, I feel like I'm saving lives, saving people a lot of, you know, hell. And then the ones that really are this will, you know, bubble to the surface. And I am trying to help people become entrepreneurs. I'm trying to help find them out there because the reality of it is there are some of them out there that just don't know that they are. And they're not the ones saying, I want to be an entrepreneur. They definitely feel uncomfortable, out of place. I mean, so they could be in the military, inner city, the corporate world, university, wherever they are, but they're kind of in all of these places and they don't realize what they are. And so I'm also trying to pull them out of the crevices so that they come out and bubble up to the surface so they know why they're on this planet. So it's much about finding the ones that are out there that have these traits that don't even realize it as it is, you know, talking the people out of it that got excited about Shark Tank and they decide they want to go build a $10 million business tomorrow because it looks really cool. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, it takes books like these to, to pull people out of that. Cause I was in that same boat. I, sure. you know, I was going the traditional routes, went to grad school and in 2003 came across this book that my mom bought me, Rich Dad, Poor Dad and mm. change. And you actually mentioned that in this book as well. Absolutely changed my paradigm and thinking. And I was like, Oh, this entrepreneur thing, that's a real thing. Like I, I can do that. You know, if I can make it through grad school, I can be an entrepreneur, you know? And, uh, that being said, not all people that go through grad school can be entrepreneurs, <laughs> but that was my thinking at the time. Right. And so, yeah, that's why I think this is a great book and, and it makes sense because if you can make it through this book and still think you're an entrepreneur, then definitely you probably are. So you talked about the six essential traits. Do you want to run through those, Gino? Yeah, absolutely. And as I share these, I always love to get the audience engaged. So as you're listening out there or watching out there, I'd love for you just to kind of run yourself through this filter. Okay. And so I'm going to share them at a very high level. Think about yourself. And so 
the first essential trait I call visionary. Number two is passionate. Three is problem solver. Four is driven. Five is risk taker. And six is responsible. Okay. So we have all six of those. Thinking about it, and, and this is just going off the top of my head, visionary, passionate, am I a problem solver? Am I driven, risk taker, responsible? Can you, can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on each of those? So that, yeah, absolutely. That, and, I, and I love that, you know, you're, I'm anticipating your answer. Are you all those? I'm quite certain you're all of those. But then, so yeah, so what I'll do is I love doing this little two-minute riff, okay, on those six things because, again, it just now further deepens this understanding and this scanning of your body to see if you're an entrepreneur in the making out there. And so visionary, visionary means that you have lots of ideas. You have ideas, you're an idea person. You're able to connect the dots, you have a sixth sense, you see things others don't, and you're able to see around corners and kind of put things together, as Steve Jobs would describe it. Passionate is where you have passion for your product, your thing, your service, this thing you wanna to bring to the world, this thing you wanna do in this world, this void you wanna feel, you have strong belief in it, um, problem solver is that you're a creative problem solver. You, when get, you get hit with a problem, you lean in and when a setback happens, you just creatively dive into it. You have ideas and solutions and you solve those problems. You're an optimist by nature. Every cloud has a silver lining. You see solutions where others see problems. You just love solving problems. Driven is where you have this internal fire, this sense of urgency in you this competitive nature, you want to win, you want to succeed, you're self-motivated, you hustle, and you just love working hard. Number five is risk taker where you don't freeze at the sight of a tough decision. So everybody thinks that, you know, the risk that you take as an entrepreneur is when you start the business, not even close. It's the thousand brutally tough decisions that you make over the next 10 years. And so you don't freeze when it comes time to make a tough decision. You're rebellious in nature. You're willing to fail and you beg for forgiveness instead of ask for permission as a general rule of thumb. And then responsible means that you blame no one. And so when something bad happens to you, to your business, you look in the mirror. And so there's two types of people in the world. When something bad happens, half the world blames everyone else. Half the world looks to themselves and blames themselves. Well, somebody who's highly responsible, again, they look at themselves. They don't believe in entitlement. Um, and, I, and I heard a great way to describe it where somebody said, a responsible building, if a meteor hits their building, they believe it's their fault. They, <laughs> they chose the building. They chose to move there. They built the building. So that's, those are the six essential traits with a little more color. So what if, what if for the folks out there that feel like they have five of those out of six? Well, simply put, you're not a true entrepreneur. <laughs> so, so, so this is where I break hearts, okay? okay. But here, so, so the next really important context so that we don't break too many hearts out there is what I teach in the book is this thing I call this entrepreneurial range. And so if you picture this, this spectrum or this range, where on the left side of that range, you have the words self-employed. And on the right side of the range, you have the words true entrepreneur. Well, everyone in the world that has their own business is somewhere on that range. And on the left side, the self-employed, these are the one person shows, freelancers, a consultant, somebody who bought one franchise. On the far right side of that range are the greatest entrepreneurs of all time, 
okay? And so Elon Musk and Henry Ford and Walt Disney and Thomas Edison and Oprah Winfrey and Sarah Blakely. And so the point here is those six essential traits I described are describing the people on the right half of that range. These are the people that go out and build organizations with people. People on the left side of the range, so if you're missing a trait, you're just probably more of a self-employed person that's probably gonna do just fine you know, as a freelancer, having a side hustle, something like that. Both are respectable, both are taking risks, but you're just probably not you know, the next Walt Disney, if you will, uh, for lack of a way to describe it. So there's still hope if you wanna be self-employed, you're just probably not a true entrepreneur by my definition. What, I, what I've learned as an entrepreneur is like, you know, Walt Disney, the, you know, these big names, Oprah Winfrey, uh, Richard Branson, they're very inspiring people. But I, I've learned specifically that the businesses that they have built, I have absolutely no desire to build a business that big. Right. Mm -hmm. And all fine people that um, have a business very similar to mine, uh, my idea that um, of a business and a lifestyle and, and follow those people. And so I can absolutely see that because, you know, the rock star entrepreneur nowadays, people think they need a billion dollar business, billion dollar idea, 500 employees, big corporate office. And, and really there's people, especially with the internet now, there's people that are just making like seven figure, even eight figure businesses with uh, a website, you know, and they've got some online courses and very few employees, which is really inspiring to see. For sure. Yeah. No so, okay, that's great. So I want to talk through like some of the key points that you mentioned throughout the book that I thought were really interesting to talk about, but maybe not talked about so much for people before they go into entrepreneurship or even in their first few years uh, for whatever reason. And so one of the things you mentioned there in chapter four is you talk about second generation entrepreneurs and how they're different from bootstrapping entrepreneurs. And I, I've noticed that for years. Um, so a person that takes over the family business a lot of times is, is much different than somebody that's just starting everything from scratch, you know, mm -hmm. and sometimes that's a good idea to pass it on to your children. But I think you said only 32% of the time that it's, uh, that a, a child has the entrepreneurial entrepreneurial traits like their parents, correct? Yeah, exactly. And, and by the way, backing up one step for five seconds, in addition to the six essential traits and everything we talked about, I offer a free assessment that I want your audience to know about on the website, e-leap.com. It is free, five to 10 minutes, fill it out. It's just another way of deciding if you have those six essential traits. So I just wanted to make that last point as we now go into this, because same thing. So what the research shows, is that a <clears throat> second generation business survives 32% of the time, third generation business survives 13% of the time, fourth generation business survives 3% of the time. So there are a lot of reasons for that, but one of the main reasons is when a second generation, when the next generation takes over the business, rarely are they a true entrepreneur. And so I give countless real life stories in this chapter in the book but the point here is if the next generation takes over, son or daughter, and they don't have these six essential traits, it is highly unlikely that they're going to grow and evolve the business for the next 20 years and change with the times. And so what's happening most of the time is that next generation takes over because it was the mother or father's dream for the kid to take over, or it was the kid's dream to take over the family business, and they just weren't equipped to grow it. And so they basically, you know, just 
run it, steady eddy, cash flow it, it kind of flatlines for a long time and then slowly dies. But again, 30, 32% of the time, you have someone that can truly take it to the next level. And so I've had the benefit, 40% of my clients are family businesses. And so I've got to watch this dynamic, number one, when they're an on, true entrepreneur in the making, second, third generation, and when they're not. And that environment, sitting in that session room with that leadership team is so different. And again, I, I, I give lots of stories around that in the book. But the point is, you know, my impassioned plea with this is I'm saying to all people that are considering passing their business on to the next generation, you've got to read this chapter and you've got to have your son or daughter read this chapter and make the best decision for your business because you're doing the business a disservice by just throwing them into that seat when it's probably not the right seat for them. And it could also be a big disservice to the child as well, you know. Exactly. And that's why I bring up the assessment because I'm saying, go have your son or daughter take the assessment or you fill the assessment out thinking about your son or daughter and you're going to, it's going to really open your eyes because you were that now and you know what one looks like. And so you got to take off the parent goggles and, and now you need to make a business decision if you want your company to last another 20 years. Do you ever feel like, um, and this is a good good place for this question, do you ever feel like circumstance can can forge a person into an entrepreneur? Um, so that's a great debate, okay? And so here's the fun debates I have about this topic. So I believe these six essential traits that I've shared, I believe you're born with them. I believe they cannot be taught. Um, I know I was born with them. Uh, every test reader, everyone I researched, every interview agrees 100%. These are all successful entrepreneurs. But with that, half the world agrees with me and half the world doesn't. And, and some of the other half of the world are, are trying to make an income off telling people they could become an entrepreneur. So it's a little bit biased. Um, I don't really have anything to gain here. I'm just trying to bring more entrepreneurs to the world because I'm hoping that this world still has the grit that entrepreneurs need to have. With that said, there are, you know, that other half of the world really believes this can be taught. And so to your point about circumstances, I did this podcast uh, about six months ago with a crazy successful entrepreneur who really believed that he learned it. He wasn't born with it. And we went in, we kind of went into his background because I believe you show signs of this all through your life. Well, he was raised by an engineer and a teacher. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but two very conservative parents that wanted him to follow the educational path and go to college. So he just did all of that all the while, you know, feeling itchy. And he took his entrepreneurial leap in his early 20s once he really realized what he was. And as we debated and discussed it, he went back to realize, you know what, I guess I, I really did exhibit those things, but I was trying to please my parents. So when you say circumstance, I believe it's already in the entrepreneur. And so, yes, the circumstances, you get laid off or fired because right now during this pandemic, right now we are birthing a whole new slew of incredible new entrepreneurs. I'm so excited about it. And I kind of feel like I'm in the right place at the right time around this. So, so it's the person that gets laid off, they're out of a job, they've got to survive. Well, all of a sudden these traits now come to the surface because they never really knew. I didn't know till I was 29 years old. So circumstances push you to do what you were born to do, in my opinion. It's not like, you know, you, well, I'm trying to think of something in, in absolute contrast, and I can't think of one without insulting some profession out there. So I'm biting my tongue a little bit, but, um, you're just, you're not going to go from, you know, being this to being that because you learned it 
it's it was already there you just if we go through each one i mean how do you how do you learn to be visionary how do you learn to see the world the way no one else does i mean it just it can't be taught it's you know, how do you learn to have ADHD? You don't learn that. You know, how do you learn dyslexia? So anyways, that's my humble, strong opinion, but it's just <laughs> one man's opinion and you get to disagree with me and I love the debate. <laughs> I, I like um, through throughout parts of your book, you run through differences between uh, B2B, business to business and business to client, and also the different types of service businesses versus product-based businesses. Also, the importance of knowing um, or just going through the exercise to decide if you want to build a big big business or a small business, if you want a partner or no partner, if you want to focus on high-end or low-cost offerings. Um, so when I started, I had no idea. I mean, I was like, hey, there's just business. You just get a thing and you sell it and you're in business and you're an entrepreneur. And I had no idea, like there was all these different like genres of business um, and different entrepreneurs and personality types that fit that. And so um, I, I love how you do that and recommend, even if you are an entrepreneur, you go through that again. Cause even like, I feel like I've found a, a good solid niche and where I'm at, but sometimes I'm like, ah, one of these days, I think I'd really like to create a product based business, you know, and focus more on the B2C type of stuff instead of B2B. Mm -hmm. But can you elaborate on, on why you decided to do that more Gino and, and the effects? Yeah. Yes. I would love to, because you know, it's the feedback, is really incredible around this tool in, in, in this chapter. And so I, I'm taking the reader through this process of confirming whether they are, then I show them a glimpse of the life and all of their options and then show them a path. Well, we're in this glimpse part of the journey. And the aha I had a few years ago in writing this is, you know, when I was 25, I too, I didn't know, you know, all of the businesses that existed. You know, I, I tinkered with some things, but, you know, found myself in the family business and so when I saw the world at like in my early 30s, all of the options, um, a, a whole bunch of data points came together and I had this moment that clicked about three years ago. And, and it's one of the, or two of those data points is the hype around becoming a billion dollar tech unicorn. And you alluded to this already about how every entrepreneur or potential entrepreneur is being led to believe that that's the pinnacle that's when you've arrived that's why you're becoming an entrepreneur and it is dangerous i mean number one most people are not equipped to build a billion dollar company and you don't even want to man it is the sacrifices so my point in all of that is i always say there's no shame in building a three million dollar heating and cooling company with 20 people that throws up a 20 percent profit that too takes a lot of work and is risky and all that wonderful stuff but the point is I'm enlightening the reader and your audience as to all of their options before they take their leap because there are so many options and the real secret is if you want to greatly increase your odds of success, know what you're built for. And so I give the categories of all of the options for building a business and starting a business. And so first is industries and there are hundreds of them. Second is types of businesses, which you alluded to, and that is decide whether you're a service entrepreneur or a product entrepreneur. The next category is decide if you're B2B or B2C, like you said, do you, are you more of a, you like to sell to businesses kind of an entrepreneur? You like to sell to consumers because those two marketing and sales processes are so different from each other. What are you built for? And next is, are you more of a high end, low volume type of an entrepreneur or low cost, high volume entrepreneur? You really can rarely be both. And so it's about deciding what you're drawn to. And so using me as the example, I'm drawn to the training industry. 
I am a fanatic about teaching. I love to teach. I love selling services. I, I have utter disdain for products. Inventory scares the shit out of me. So, but again, this is just me. I've got lots of clients in product businesses. Um, I love selling to businesses. I love selling to CEOs. That's what I am great at and I excel at. And I love being the highest price in town, highest value. That's just the way I am in, in low volume. And then the third is size, like we're talking about. Million dollar company, billion dollar company, two employees, 200,000 employees. What are you really built for? And as you, so I created a tool here. Again, all these tools are free. It's called My Biz Match. You go to the website, you just simply click, click, click a bunch of answers and out pops the perfect answer for you. Here's the business that's best for you. And if you're still not sure, go work for one of those businesses that the answer, the answer that you get for six months, like I did at, at a travel agency and realized, holy shit, I don't want to be in this business. Um, and just keep playing, keep practicing, keep testing. But ultimately, I believe if you go into something you're built for, you'll make better decisions, you'll succeed faster. Because again, if I were in the product business, selling commodities, high volume to consumers, Ugh, that, just, that just doesn't do it for me. And I've got this really good friend and we have this constant debate with each other. You know, so typically a B2B world, you're calling those clients because you're working with that one CEO and a B2C world, those are customers because you've got like 10,000 of them and you don't even know the face. I need to see the face, but we have this client customer debate all the time. He just loves having all those customers. I love having a handful of clients. And, and so potato, potato, at least I know what I love. He knows what he loves. And we both do pretty darn well in what we do because I know what I'm built for. I know what I'm drawn to. You know, and then the size wise, five to $10 million companies, that's my sweet spot. 50 employees, that's kind of my sweet spot. Having hundreds of employees does nothing for me. It's, it's too overwhelming. It's too much. I can't remember all those faces and eyeballs, but, 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 being a one person show is also unappealing to me. So again, I know that sweet spot size for myself. I've got a buddy that has built his third $10 million company. That's what he's great at. He tried to build a hundred million dollar company and it failed. Then he had an aha moment. This is my sweet spot. So anyway, you all have a sweet spot out there and just go do that tool, fill out that tool and you'll start to get some more clarity so you can take the right leap for yourself. How long do you think it took you, do you know, to figure out that sweet spot? For well, um, I mean, quick math would be seven years because um, I tried a bunch of different things. And then I was lucky enough to fall in love with my dad's company and end up in that business, you know, which again was a B2B service business in training. And so that's when I realized, you know, standing in front of a group, standing in front of an audience, standing in front of a small group of a client, teaching them and turning that light bulb on, it's, it, there's just nothing I love more. And so fortunately, I got to experience it in my mid to late 20s. And then bring in the entrepreneur piece that I knew it was all about teaching entrepreneurs. But I would say seven years for me to really clarify. Now, you mentioned this earlier, Gino, and you talk about in the book um, the psychological challenges of being an entrepreneur and uh, not fitting in, not always being good at school. I was good at gym and lunch, but the other subjects were difficult, right? Uh, having ADD, ADHD, dyslexia, hypomania. Um, so for the people that don't feel like they fit in, they think they may be an entrepreneur, um, how can they, how can people that feel like that um, get direction, like get direction on, on where to figure out, you know, their own personal challenges with their own psychological challenges that are coming up? And then how, how can they find direction? 
Yeah, so it's, the first one's easy, read the book. <laughs> so, so, but go to the website and you know, experience the nine free tools. That's why I wrote this is for that person. But I would, I would add something else to it because you know, it's, the whole thing is a journey. You know? and, and if you can go back to these thinking in 10 year timeframes, you got a lot of time. I mean, you could build an empire in 10 years. So, so read the book. The first 30 pages are free on the website. You know, it's a $10 investment in your life. This is why I wrote it for you. But the other thing I would say, I, I love saying this statement, let your freak flag fly, okay? And so what that means is, because I read a whole chapter called Know Thyself, and, and you don't have to read it to, to know what I'm saying to you, because what I'm saying is know yourself, know all your strengths, know all your weaknesses. I have ADHD, I have OCD, I have a touch of dyslexia, I have hypomania, and, and they are all gifts. I mean, they are, I am so proud of them. But if I were to go become an accountant, I'd be the most dysfunctional, unsuccessful accountant on the planet doing the same thing every single day. So, so fortunately for me, you know, I figured that out. I know what my energy is and I let my freak flag fly. I am myself every minute of every day. And so, so learn yourself. There are great profiling tools out there that you can go take to really understand your MO and your personality and who you are, but be proud of it. It's, if anybody on earth is trying to tell you that ADD, ADHD is some kind of a, is some kind of a illness or some kind of, I just, it, it breaks my heart because it is a gift. Every single one of the entrepreneurs that I work with intimately, and these are hundreds, they all have ADD. I mean, it's, 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 it is, it's heaven having a new focus every two hours. <laughs> so uh, um, anyway, so it's, so they're all gifts, whatever they are, whatever, whatever you were born with and you're built with, it's a gift, figure it out. There's a place on the planet for you. Know thyself, let your freak flag fly. That's the, the advice I would offer. That's great because still in traditional educational systems, like they're not teaching that at, you know, ADD is a disease, you know, the kid has problems, the parents didn't raise them right, all this stuff like dyslexia and there are people like, I know I have two very close friends that are entrepreneurs, both of them have full on dys dyslexia and um, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Uh, because we're understanding these more. And uh, another friend, he says, you know, AD, ADD is just a kid with energy and the parents are just not <laughs> up to or don't have enough energy to keep, keep, stay up with the kid, which kind of makes sense in a lot of yeah, ways. And, but in ADD, you know, the current school system is just not built for somebody with ADD, you know, and so just educating them a different way. I had to get the hell out of that system. You know, I graduated high school with a solid 2.3 average. I couldn't wait to get out of there, but I spend... I mean, I have spent enough money to get four degrees, literally four times over at the best universities in the country. So I just learned how to educate myself my way. I am a fanatic about learning. I spend a ridiculous amount of money in education. I read so much, I listen to so much, I watch so much, I have mentors, I, I, go, to, I go to classes. So you just gotta figure out how to educate yourself your own way because again, somebody with ADHD, the, the typical system is not built for you. Yeah, it's very true. So we're going to hop over to chapter 12. And this, I think, was essential for a lot of people um, starting entrepreneurship and that's in entrepreneurship. And we go over this on a, this 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 idea on a regular basis with our clients as well, finding a mentor. And, um, and then you talk about the value of being an apprentice. You yourself tried that. 
And, um, you know, you think of the past, like unions, they have apprenticeships, um, you know, books of the past about entrepreneurship. So like the alchemist, the richest man in, in Babylon, um, they talk about being an apprentice before they become, you know, um, whatever successful or go on their, their adventure. Um, sales jobs. A lot of times people are coming in and you've got a trainer there and the trainer is taking you through learning about sales. I did that for a couple of years. And so finding a mentor, it can help skyrocket somebody's uh, learning curve and then help them understand if they want to be involved in that business or that type of business. So uh, I just want to ask, you know, like who who were some of your mentors in the past and then who are some of your mentors today? So I had in my 20s, I had two very important mentors, uh, my dad and a gentleman by the name of Sam Cup. I consider Sam Cup to be my business mentor. I consider my dad to be my people mentor. And so my dad taught me how to lead and communicate uh, with one to 1,000 people, whether I'm one on one or I'm standing on a stage talking to a thousand. And, and Sam taught me everything about business and really helped me guided me through that turnaround of the family business. <clears throat> and so that was all through my 20s. Currently in my life, Dan Sullivan is probably my greatest mentor. I'm a student of the Strategic Coach Program, which is a great program for entrepreneurs. I've been in this program for 23 years. So I would say that he probably shapes my thinking and teaches me the most in my life right now. Um, and so those, the, the, you know, those, that's the past and that'd be the current mentors. It makes sense. So I remember when I was a, a young entrepreneur that I, I used to have this thought my first two or three years of business, if I could just find the right mentor, then all my problems would be solved, <laughs> but which is not the truth, right? You still got to do the work, but like, how can those, those newer entrepreneurs, how can they find a, a good entrepreneur or a good mentor? Yeah. And so, you know, so I write an entire chapter on this. And so I'll give you kind of a couple of high level nuggets that will help. <clears throat> First of all is, in all of my research, a little more than half of entrepreneurs, successful entrepreneurs, have had a mentor. So the point is, it's not a death sentence if you don't have, an entre if you don't have a mentor. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but I do believe it's a bit of a speed pass if you do have a mentor. And so I urge you to go find one. If you can't find one, again, you're going to be just fine because it's a different day and age now. You can go to YouTube spend a week on YouTube and get as much mentoring as you might get from one person. But nonetheless, what I advise is that you, assuming you know or have a relatively good idea of where you want to be or where you want to go, the idea is to find someone who is there. And so, you know, let's pretend hypothetically you want to start a landscape company and you want to build a $2 million landscape company. Well, the best thing you can do is go find the CEO of a $2 million landscape company and get mentored by them. Nonetheless, which whatever the answer is for you, whoever that person is, you then reach out to that person. You're gonna to have to have multiple names because you're gonna hear some no's. This is one of the biggest sales you'll ever make, but you reach out to that person, ask them to mentor you, schedule a one hour meeting, let them share their story, you share your story, you ask your questions. And at the end of that, if it feels right, you establish a format. And so the format with CM Cup for me is we met every month for about an hour and a half, every single month for literally five years. Again, you decide your own formula because my relationship with my dad was much more unstructured, it was more ad hoc. And so you just decide together if it feels right. So that's the idea is to find somebody who's where you, where you are. But you said something that's also very important because if you're still unclear or even if you are, 
Another trick is to go work for that person. You know, just go work there like I did with the travel agent and learn that I didn't want to do that, but go work for that person. And sometimes going and working for that person for free uh, is better than a college education. So you're actually ahead of the $25,000 you would have, you know, spent to go to college. So that's also a great way to get mentored where it's a win-win for everybody, or at least work for a reduced compensation. Hopefully you can get full comp. That's the ideal. But even if you can't, to be surrounded by that person for a year, best education you'll ever get. Absolutely. Completely agree with that. Um, so in the book, you talk about being financially motivated and wanting to make a lot of money is not being greedy because you're, a lot of times our intention is we just want to provide a nice, prosperous family for our fam- or uh, a lifestyle for our family and for other people and also help people learn about wealth as well. So like I was challenged with this growing up also is, you know, grew up in middle America, uh, Christian values, blue collar family, um, making a lot of money was, you know, the other, I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of people say it's root of all evil or, you know, um, it's, it's easier for a man to get past a camel through an eye of a needle or something than to get in heaven, like all this stuff. And oh, so yeah. actually, you know, and I've been an entrepreneur over a decade and sometimes this stuff still kind of comes up and it's like, oh, am I being too greedy if I make, you know, X amount of money this year or, um, you know, what, what is that that keeps coming up? So, so what do you think society has such a challenge with this? You know, I wish I knew where, when, and how it all changed. But, you know, you go back to the early 1900s and prior to that, probably forever, frankly, um, you know, becoming a millionaire, getting rich was respected and admirable and, and, and valued. And, and so I recommend any potential entrepreneur, please read Think and Grow Rich, you know, written in the early 1900s, and you get that rich thinking and mindset. And so, again, I don't know where it all changed. And it's so sad because somewhere in the last hundred years it changed where somehow if you want to be a millionaire, it's a bad thing. Because here's what I know for a fact. I know for a fact the millionaires that I know, the entrepreneurs that I know, these are hundreds of them intimately, personally. I know how much money they make. I know how much money they give. They are some of the most generous people on the planet. And how they're somehow looked down upon or knocked or come off as greedy is insanity. And so, you know, all I know is growth, everybody wins because there's more money. And and again, most entrepreneurs are good people. Are there some greedy ones out there? Yes. I don't know any of them because I don't associate with them. I don't help them. I don't teach them. But most of them are really generous, good people that want to make a difference in the world. And they do. And so I don't know where it changed and where it went wrong, but it's but it's 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 a fallacy and it's just really disheartening and sad. Yeah, it's very true. Okay, so this next point here, I think, is um, one of the most powerful um, ideas or philosophies or um, just um, strategies you can give to any entrepreneur, no matter what stage of their life. And I've been, it's funny that it was in this book because I've been playing with it a lot lately uh, before I even read the book. And so um, it's the 10 year plan, right? And so 2020 hit. And I'd been an entrepreneur for 13 years-ish. And I thought to myself, okay, uh, I reflected on on where I was at in 2010 um, and where I was at with business and, and, and my lifestyle and everything. 
And I thought to myself, you know, I was selling on Amazon in 2009 and I did it for like six months and I thought, ah, this stuff isn't working, you know. And then all I had a mentor as well um, tell me in 2011, Chris, you're living this really awesome four-hour workweek type of lifestyle, traveling the world. You should uh, start making YouTube videos out of it and build a YouTube channel. And that was 2011, right? And, and so now at 2020, I look back on both of those things. If I would have stuck with one of those, uh, I probably could have been retired by now. But I didn't because I was just like, short-term planning, short-term thinking, what's going to make the few, next few thousand bucks, what's going to bring in money uh, now and, and not thinking about the long-term future. So in 2020, when 20 hit, just in January, I thought to myself, okay, what's the, what's the, what's the one thing I'm going to focus on for the next decade? So in 2030, I know that I know that I know everything worked out because I was focusing on a 10-year 10-year strategy, right? So then a couple of weeks ago, we had Noah Kagan. I don't know if you know him from AppSumo, but we had him on the show and he brought up the same philosophy too before I even read it in your book. And we were talking about, you know, okay, 10 years, if you're 10-year planning, that's only one-seventh, maybe one-eighth, maybe one-ninth of your life, which seems very small, right? But when, you, when everybody thinks of 10 years, that seems like it's a lot. So when you said in the book, you said even if you're 65, you've got a good 20 years left. And then Robert Kiyosaki talks about, you know, the four quarters of your working life, 25 to 35, 35 to 45, 45 to 55, 55 to 65. If you do everything right from 25 to 45, you probably don't even have to work after the second quarter of your working career as an entrepreneur, right? And so I'm, I'm sorry to hog the mic, but I'm going to give it back to you in a second because you have so much good stuff here. And I really want to read part of this out of the book. And so you learned, this is Gino talking. I learned a discipline of thinking in 10 year frames when you were 35 years old. Once I did time slowed down and I started having more fun. I was less frustrated and rushed and more great things started to happen. The process works like this. First, you have to understand that barring a natural disaster or getting run over by a car, you're probably going to live to an age of around 85. Even if you're 65 now, you've got a good 20 years left. Next, you need to realize that you can accomplish anything in 10 years. Worst case, 20. As the old business axiom goes, it takes 20 years to become an overnight success. Very true. If you think you'll build an empire in the next couple of years, in most cases, you're going to be sorely disappointed. I would say like 99 0.9% of the time. If you accept that, that was Chris, not Gino. Uh, if you accept that, you have 10 years to build something great. Your mind and body can relax. You'll think better and you'll make better decisions. Uh, you might be a 51-year-old stay-at-home mom who is now an empty nester trying to find yourself uh, or a 17-year-old reading this and you might say to yourself, I'm an entrepreneur in the making. So you can accomplish anything in 10 years, but really too, the motivational speaker Les Brown used to say, all you need is a good decade. Part of the reason that this current phase is usually filled with false starts. And I think that's so powerful because it, um, long-term thinking is so, it's, it's just not taught and it's really scary for, for so many people. Um, I'd like to know, Gino, like when you learned this at 35, how did it change your life? What are some of the things that shifted for you? That's, uh, this is, this topic to me is so near and dear because if there's in a nutshell, anything I'm pushing and teaching the world, it's this, you know, the power of this. And so I always put it in a nutshell by saying, I learned it at 35, 17 years ago. And when I did, time slowed down. 
I made better decisions and I literally got there faster. So the irony is you get there faster. And I recently heard this quote from Bill Gates that's so good. It says, most people overestimate what they can do in one year and underestimate what they can do in 10 years. And so it's there's just so much you can accomplish. And I love your whole setup to this before you even read the book. And ironically, whenever I do a podcast, I listen to your most recent podcast. And you know, I try to listen to as much as I can, but maybe I got in 10 or 15 minutes or whatever I did. But so I heard the gentleman you're talking about in his exact 10-year quote, and I was like, oh, I'm gonna love this podcast. Yeah. We are in sync. So all that said, I, you know, I don't know that I can add much more than that, but it is literally transformative. And it's so important. Again, if you're sitting there and you're 20 years old right now, or like you and I have said, 65 years old, by all measures, if you're under 50, you're living past 100. You know, you're going to have a choice to live well beyond 100. So you've got many, many decades ahead of you. And, and I'm not a big believer in 10-year planning. I'm a believer in 10-year thinking. And I believe everyone should have a 10-year goal out there. You know, and so I have my 10-year goal out there that I'm working toward. I love hearing that you do. And I do recommend you see it every single night when you go to bed. And then life is just a series of setting these 10-year goals and just making great decisions today. Every decision you make today should be made thinking about that 10-year goal. You'll get there faster. Time will slow down. You'll be more patient. And, and life is just, ah, it's just, a, it's just a lot better with that kind of thinking, in my humble opinion. I agree. Like it, things just, I mean, they don't become as urgent. They're not that they're not as important for me anyway. Um, it's you think to yourself, okay, how is this going to add to my 10 year vision, my 10 year goal and, or take away from it. And you're not like wrapped up in the anxiety of the day to day problems. And, you know, with going, what's going on with the world now and the, the, the economy, um, you know, it's easy to get, if you haven't been through a recession before, it's easy to get uh, wrapped up into, oh my God, how am I going to pay the team this, this month? You know, timelines running out and the stress gets even higher. Uh, but if you can, if you can really just like take some time away from that chaos that's happening and, and think about, okay, what's my 10 year plan? Am I focused on that? And I'm staying on top of it. I think it can really help reduce the anxiety and the stress that's happening. Yeah. And, and I, so I'm so glad you went there because that was the one thing that you prompted and then you said it is, you know, so yeah, people are sitting there right now fearful about this pandemic. Tenure thinking just puts that all out of your mind, you know? And so whenever I'm speaking right now and talking to people, you know, I'm saying, let's, let's forget about the pandemic for an hour here, okay? Because that's possible to do. But my point here is two scenarios. Let's pretend you're an entrepreneur in the making who's not taking your leap and you want to build a $5 million company in whatever business. You can and will do that in 10 years. Right now, it's going to be a little crazy in this pandemic because you can't even leave your freaking house depending on which state you live in. But in 10 years, you, will, you can and will still build that $5 million company. So it just gets you to zoom out and make these really important short-term decisions that are going to get you to the long-term. And the business that just got their ass kicked and they're doing half the revenue that they were doing three months ago, you're going to be fine. You just need to make 10-year decisions right now. And one of those 10-year decisions might literally be to lay off half your people, to cut back to if you were a $10 million company and now you're a $5 million company, just run like a $5 million company. You'll be back to $10 million. All those people will come back. But God forbid you try to make short-term decisions right now and save everybody and go out of business and there's nothing in 10 years for you. So you got to make really scary, tough, difficult decisions right now so that you're here in 10 years and you achieve that 10-year goal. It just sharpens your thinking, 
gives you better thinking and, and, and gives you more peaceful thinking. This is, this is one of the lessons that I think so many current entrepreneurs out there can really just uh, revisit and get a lot of value from reading this book. Because I like how, Gino, you have exercises at the end of most chapters to talk about, okay, what is, uh, you know, wh what type of entrepreneur are you here? What type of business do you really prefer? Uh, what is your 10-year plan, 10 plan? What is your short-term plan? And this sort of thing. Um, even at the back of the book, you revisit that. I filled it out too. Like, <laughs> and I was like, this is good stuff, you know? Um, yeah. So what's your 10 year, 10 year focus? So right now it's to impact 1 million entrepreneurs in the making. So that's and what this is all is that, about. Is that 2020 to 2030? Yeah, by 2030. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So we'll have a podcast again in 2030. Love it. Because that's my 10 year focus is podcasting. Uh, that's the major platform. And we'll bring you back on in 2030. We'll see how you did. Yeah, and here's a fun fact that I would love for you to do that. So put that in your in your reminder in your calendar. I'll snooze my email. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, just a little fun fact. So my previous goal was a 20 year goal. So 20 years ago, I said um, we're going to have 10,000 companies running on EOS. That's the system I created, and that's where. I, as an implementer, one of our 350 current implementers literally takes a company through a two-year process. So it's a very you know, intense relationship. And the goal was to take 10,000 companies through that process. We've got 100,000 companies running on the system, but this is taking them through that very intimate process. Well, ironically, I set that in 2000. The goal was to hit that by 2021, and we are literally on track to hit 10,000 by the end of this year. Uh, the pandemic's trying to slow us down on that number, but by all measures, we'll hit it. And the whole point here is you got to have a 10 year goal, put it out to the universe, think about it every night. How the hell you're going to do it? Who knows? And who cares? You don't have to worry about that right now. You just kind of take it one quarter at a time. But if that's the goal, answers come energetically. If you work toward it, answers come. And for the last 20 years, answers have come, the right people have come along. Um, but that's what I focused on every single night every single day from a work standpoint. And it's just worst case, if it doesn't happen, you're going to be further ahead than if you didn't do it at all. I guarantee you that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so look me up in 10 years. We'll see what happens. I'm going to, I'm going to put that on the calendar now. All right. I Hopefully Google's still around or Google calendar. It's going to be something. <laughs> um, so towards the end of the book, you start to talk about the eight disciplines for increasing your odds of success when taking the leap. And I thought this was great as well. So, um, we'll run through those real quick. Clarity of vision. Decide if you're a partner person. Know that the bigger the problem you solve in the world, the more successful you'll be. Get feedback from customers and clients early and often. Know what your first plan will know your first plan will not be the final plan. Work hard, really hard. You guys, you're going to have to work really hard to be an entrepreneur, but you're passionate, so that drives you. Uh, take criticism and doubt from others with a grain of salt and then see every night. Uh, visualize it every night, that end all goal. So um, can you elaborate a little bit on those for us, Gino? Yeah, and, and what I would ask is, um, why don't you pick your favorite three? Because I can elaborate on them, but to elaborate on all eight, uh, that might be 20 minutes. Take a while. So, okay. so pick your best one, two, or three that really jump out at you. Uh, yes. One that would help you the most, and I'll go deep into that. So we're doing a bunch of masterminds right now, and these are kind of prevalent for the people in the masterminds. I see a lot of people with the challenge of clarifying their vision. I see a lot of people challenged, uh, or just they don't have this exercise, but I think it's really important seeing it every night. 
And then, um, then let's talk about know that your first plan won't be your final plan because I see a lot of people that are challenged with still trying to implement the goals they created in January of 2020, uh, according to the economy and the situation we have now. Right. All right. So picking them one at a time, number one you picked was clarify your vision. So the, the teaching here is I'm not a big believer in detailed business plans. So as you're taking your entrepreneurial leap, unless you're seeking money and only a little less than 10% of entrepreneurs that take an entrepreneurial leap seek outside funds. So it's, it's a fallacy. You know, the world's teaching how to write a business plan and how to go seek funding. Most of them don't do that. A big, big percentage don't do that. So, but the point is that for the 90 plus percent that don't need to seek outside funding, you must have a vision. You must have a vision for yourself, for any future employees, for any future customers and clients. And I believe I've created a tool called My Vision Clarifier. Again, that's another free tool on the website. And, and, and so the idea is it takes you through the eight aspects of a vision, gets you to do some soul searching, capture it in writing. So you just, you gotta go forward with a vision. And that vision is gonna alter and change and move, but you gotta take that leap with a vision not a 15 page business plan in that in that vision my vision clarifier it's one document one page and it's all there at a glance uh the second thing you brought up is which one first uh, plan won't be the final plan yeah the first plan will be the final plan so what's important about this is these are eight disciplines okay and so the point here is just going in knowing that the plan you go forward with and you're so in love with and you're so attached to, it's not gonna be your final plan. You know, you're gonna get punched in the face, you're gonna, the plan is gonna change. You're good. So it's not going to work with all due love and respect. And so it's gonna change. And so it's just a mentality and a discipline that says, I'm going forward with this plan. I'm gonna to go to market. I'm gonna keep my ear to the ground. I'm gonna know my customers and clients wants and needs. I'm gonna go out there and sell a few. And then they're gonna beat me up a little bit. And then I'm gonna to have to evolve and change and bob and weave to their needs. And you're going to change that plan. It's going to change. Whether that's week one, year one, or decade one, your first plan will not be your final plan. And so don't be so rigid with that plan. Don't be so in love with that plan and be ready for the change because one of the reasons people fail is they're so attached to the plan and they're so in love with the plan when the market is telling them, crying to them, make the change, make the evolution. So, and then the last one was see it every night. And so we touched on this. And so my strong urging, you know, I urge you to see the 10 year goal every night, but you can decide the time frame. You know, I'm a fanatic about the 10 year, but it's you literally lay in bed at night before you conk out. If you can see in vivid color, an image, a picture of what it's going to look like when you achieve that 10-year goal, it is more likely to happen. I also urge you to express some gratitude to the universe while you're doing that. That's like bonus stuff there, but this is about just seeing that 10-year goal every night for the next 3,650 nights, and it is more more likely to happen. Um, is... Uh... Yeah, that makes sense. I was calculating 3,652. Uh, is this a meditation practice you do or is it, it is, just? It is not. It is not. And it's literally, it's a 10 to 30 second exercise. I mean, I'm literally, my head's on the pillow and I see it in vivid color. And then I express gratitude for a thing or two that day. I love it. That's a, that's a great way to end your evening. And I think that's a great way to end a podcast too. Here, here. Uh, 
Um, Gino, if the listeners, so I have a bunch of links here. I can read these out. Or if the listeners want to, would you like me to read them out? Yeah, let, let me make it really easy for everybody. The, the epicenter of everything is e-leap.com. Just go there. Nine free tools, first 30 pages of the book. I urge you to buy the book, but that you can do after you play around with these tools. Go take the assessment. Make sure you have the six essential traits, but e-leap.com is the epicenter of everything. If you want to go get the book, all major retailers, Entrepreneurial Leap, but that's also available on the website as well. Absolutely. And I'll confirm that, you guys. I did read the book front to back, and it looks like a big book, but actually it's a pretty quick read. And, and it's written very in layman terms, so it's very easy to read as well, very easy to understand. And even if you've been an entrepreneur for a decade, you can still get a lot of value from this book. I certainly did. So, Gino, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing all your tips and tricks and wisdom with us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Had a blast. Thank you. Listeners, we're going to wrap up there. Thank you guys for tuning in, and we'll see you all on the next episode. Goodbye, everybody. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us once again. We wanted to remind you about our high performance productivity coaching and our five, six, seven, and eight figure private masterminds. These are all designed for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs to help you scale rapidly and grow. Check out all the details at thebusinessmethod.com. That's thebusinessmethod.com. And we'll see you all on the next episode.